0: Ready. you sure you're ready nope
1: well i'm gonna go anyway <laughs> hello and welcome to the uk wildlife podcast with me victoria hillman
0: and me neil phillips
1: and we've got a special several species episode for you um for this one <laughs> all will become very very clear don't worry uh but i think we're going to kick off with our sightings. so neil what sightings have you been seeing recently
0: The last week, I have been mostly um, emptying and loading the dishwasher and watching Bluey on the telly with my children because the weather's been absolute pants if I've not been working. But before that, I did have a few interesting sightings. I've been visiting my friend Phil on Sheppy, and I visited his little owl hide one week and came back the next weekend and having suggested putting down some mealwormy things, the little owl had started coming in close and as soon as I put my pictures online... Um, (laughs) let's just say one or two people have been interested in visiting these hides. Yeah, I've got some lovely pictures of rabbits as well. I've even got some of you might have seen the picture of a rabbit in the tree. I don't know if you've seen that one, Vic. Uh, No,
1: I haven't.
0: About six foot off the ground, up a 45 degree trunk on a willow, which is rather amusing. I also have been doing some dirty twitching again. Sorry, everybody. In my defence, it was that European roller in Suffolk Honestly no I leave um, you alone
1: For a few weeks And this is what happens
0: I know Do you know what I was severely tempted To go up to Yorkshire I don't know if you've seen There's been a black brown Albatross at Bempton Yes I
1: saw the news about
0: that I wouldn't go up there Just and then come home I'd go up and see my friend In Yorkshire And go and see it And it's an excuse To go to Bempton For goodness sake So that'd be totally worth it But after I went to the roller I went to Lake and Heath Fen Which is around the corner Got some lovely pictures Of a kingfisher Again, more birds and bitterns. I saw bittens flying over, hobby flying around, and loads of dragonflies and loads of wildlife. It's such a lovely sight, Lake and Heath, the r Reserve. A bit closer to home in Essex at work, I saw a snake fly, which most of you want to be going, huh? It basically looks like a dark lace wing with a long neck. But those that know what snake flies are will be going, ooh. They are really cool. They are really cool. And they're quite hard to see, aren't they? Because. They live up in the canopy most of the time
1: but i've only ever seen one and it was in bulgaria and it was actually quite low down on the vegetation so yeah
0: you do get them occasionally i had one land on my car i think i looked it up if it was 2008 or something like that 2009 land on the car door in a car park below a load of oak trees glimpsed one briefly where would that have been Kefalonia in greece i think it was but it's taken sort of till last week to see another one and Finally, get some nice pictures of them. Yeah, that was quite fun. Again, at work, there's a lovely meadow there. There's a hedge of bramble, effectively on the woodland edge. And one dull evening last week, I went over there, and the flowers are just open on the brambles, and that's always a good time. There was the it's got various names: uh, uh, yellow, black, longhorn beetles, isn't it called? Or yellow and black striped, or striped longhorn. Various different names for it. They always come out onto the flowers. Volucella pennins, which is one of the big ones. And also saw a red-legged robber fly eating a wasp. Unfortunately, it's, some of you by the time this comes out, the pictures have probably been posted of this. Um, it's a lovely picture. The robber fly is eating this solitary wasp, but the actual eating bit is censored by a leaf in front of it, which slightly ruins the shot. Uh, but like loads of scorpion flies, and I've had a load of classes last week come in to work. And one class, the one day the sun actually came out, all of them saw the lizards basking on the logs. It was really cool couple of really gravid females looking like they're ready to pop so that's good that means the lizards are breeding at work Um, and to top it all off I had a robber fly in the garden yesterday for the first time which is really cool. At some point we will do an episode on robber flies. I may even drag Erica back in for that I think. But how about you Vic?
1: Um, I can honestly say my list is nowhere near as extensive (laughs) as yours Neil because I haven't been out very much at all. Uh, I've had Two trips up to a local site here, which is actually really good for orchids, although it's been a bit hit and miss the last few years. But managed to find all five species that you can find. There's actually six species at the site, but the sixth species is Autumn Ladies Tresses. Oh, lovely. So you not going to be out at this this time of year. But we had Chalk Fragrant, Bee, Common Spotted, Pyramidal, and a couple of Common blades actually still around, nice. um, which was interesting. So got got those on both days I went up and actually, you know, saw yellow hammers for the first time and I have to say thank you, a big thank you to to Rob for pointing those out to me. Because I, I walk around with my head firmly like looking down, you know, around the grasses and, and the, the you know, the floor basically. I don't tend to look up, but he pointed them out to me. So that was really amazing to see. And then to be honest, I think there's only one sighting that really matters and really, you know, it's my top sighting. And for anyone that follows me on social media, you've probably already seen this. But for the last couple of years I've had small blue butterflies coming into the garden. So when we kind of redid it last year I planted kidney vetch and lo and behold I've had small blue butterflies in the garden again this year, spending a lot more time and I've so had so far had, you know, about five or six visits from them. So looking really good and I'm really excited about that one. So that definitely has to be top of my list for mm. sightings. And do you know what? And it's a very it's a very, very rare garden visitor, a very rare garden visitor. Um and Last year was actually the first record of one in Froom. Was actually the one that was in my garden. So it is it, very unusual to get them in your garden.
0: I don't think we've done a podcast since I went down to Sandwich Bay, where I saw lizard orchids the first time, which are just ridiculously tall, aren't they? And the the slight note that being that slight with dragonflies, I you probably thought I would remember to mention that I saw dainty damselfly for the first time, which is the third from last UK species fourth from last if you count Irish damselfly for me to see to have seen every single one yeah that was pretty cool <laughs> loads of them there Love, lovely little site Sandwich Bird Observatory organised that so thanks to them guys for that but yeah there's loads of cool plants on the got a load of seashore plants I'm actually doing botany this year actually paying attention to the plants for a change and.
1: Yeah. Uh we're converting him we're converting him we're
0: getting that they're they're actually quite cool they are very cool I I did like the I've always liked sea holly and stuff but a lot of the seashore plants are pretty cool anyway because I'm fairly familiar with the salt marsh plants from living in Essex but you know the shingle shore stuff is a bit cool and I saw uh, I've always liked the broom rapes as well and there was a rare broom rape and I forget which one it was it was the paler one not the common one I saw some common broom rape as well quite interesting that the lizard orchids a lot of them at the top had a type of snail that I can't identify so I should have to consult my friend about them. But yes. So yeah, I've, I you know when I can, I have crammed it in. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen much. I've actually seen quite a bit now I think about it. It's, but it's only because it's been so long since I've done uh, recent sightings. <laughs> I think if we'd done it in the last week, I'd have been like, eh, not much. Yeah, to
1: be fair, love, well, all of mine are actually from the last week, I have mm-hmm. to admit.
0: Shall we move on to the podcast news? We've got a bit of news from you. if it would will come at the end.
1: Yes, I I've, I have some news, but I will share that at the end and yes I am here this really is me I am yeah, back she is there for one episode only
0: we did have some reviews and stuff but we've got a lot to cram in today so I think we'll come back to those afterwards but uh, just a big thanks to all you that have left us reviews and stuff recently if you haven't please do go ahead and there's also the option of buying us a coffee I did one thing I will say is I sent Oscar who's been doing the editing for the last what three four months I think it is isn't it Vic yeah, at, I least. at least uh, he said it, it loads of episodes episode 45 I think it was It was editing Uh, he kindly did a load more last month as well and I did send him basically everything minus the hosting fees for a couple of months to him as a thank you for doing all that stuff because it would have cost a lot more to pay sort of full going rate and stuff to people so A massive thanks to Oscar and to you guys that have sent us money. But shall we move on to our main topic, Vic?
1: The subject of this one is going to be butterflies. And it's not a general butterfly thing, it is actually specifically going to be about blue butterflies. But I thought I'd actually kick off with a few kind of butterfly in general bits and pieces. So, butterflies, I love them. I mean, who doesn't love a butterfly? Let's be honest. But they're actually really important indicators of the health of an ecosystem. And areas that are rich in butterflies tend to be rich in other invertebrates too. Uh, But they're actually also a really important pollinator and food source for for other animals. There's no doubt about it. The wings of butterflies are absolutely stunning. And they're one of the, the attractions to them. They belong to the order Lepidoptera, which in Greek means scale wing. And their wings are actually covered in thousands of tiny scales, which are overlapping pieces of chitin. And these cells produce the structure and colours of the wings and if you've ever seen a close-up of a butterfly wing it is absolutely mind-blowingly you know stunning. Now there's actually three types of scales that make up these wings you have pigmentary or ground scales, structural scales and the third type is predominantly found in the males and these andraconia scales which possess tiny pheromone sacs at the base so hence why they're generally found in in males. Now the pigmentary scales are mainly flat with chemicals sequestered from larval food plants and they're actually laid down in neat little rows. Structural scales are larger than the pigmentary scales and are semi-transparent and this allows the colours of the pigmentary scales to show through. Some of these structural scales also have a microscopic prismatic structure which refracts light resulting in the iridescence that we see in some of the species. These scales also have a hidden ultraviolet pattern that's only visible to other butterflies, but is actually vital for them finding and attracting mates. During the last few days before an adult emerges, different genes are switched on and off to regulate the colours and patterns. And any dramatic changes in our environmental conditions at this time can cause colour variations, which are known as aberrations. Now, there's so much amazing mind-blowingly geeky science stuff about butterflies we could probably do numerous episodes on this but we have decided for the rest of this episode we're going to concentrate purely on the blue butterflies
0: of the 57 species resident to the UK only 9 of them are the blue butterflies now there's 80 species in mainland Europe but here in the UK we've just got the 9 so a bit like the reptiles and most other things dragonflies we've got less than mainland Europe but the 9 native species in the UK are the small blue the silver-studded blue The brown argus, the northern brown argus, common blue, chalk hill blue, adonis blue, holly blue, and large blue. And we do occasionally get long tail blues, especially in sort of Kent, and they're actually getting more regular. So who knows? Maybe we'll get a tenth species in the coming years. We'll see what happens there. Most of our blue butterflies have some sort of association with ants and a special ant attracting organ. And the caterpillars are targeted and stung by parasitic wasps. Despite being attended by these ants, some of them actually in the nest of the wasps still get to them. But we're going to go through the species one by one now.
1: This is, I think, it's not the most showy of our blue butterflies, it has to be said. But it is, I think, really special one. So, surprisingly, the small blue actually has a wider distribution than any of our other blue butterflies other than the common blue. And although it is widely distributed, it's rare in almost every region it inhabits. It's a highly colonial species, often confined to just 200 square metres of land. And typical colonies will contain fewer than 30 adults. And breeding takes place in isolated patches for generation after generation. The typical typical emergence is around mid-May, with peak numbers around about three weeks later. This is something we have seen this year. This is usually dependent on the weather. A lot of stuff seems to be a bit later this year. And kidney vetch is a sole larval food plant. So you would have heard in my sightings that year we planted kidney vetch in the garden. That's why, so we can have the small blue butterfly in the garden year after year. And I think you're going to take us on to the next one, aren't you, Neil?
0: Yep, so I'm going to talk about silver studied blue, which is a butterfly of lowland heaths. But they're also known to breed on some coastal dunes and cliffs in the southwest too. They had a massive decline in the 20th century, and it's now virtually absent from four-fifths of its former range. Dorset and the New Forest heaths are the main strongholds. Um, I've certainly seen lots in the New Forest. and They live in tight, close-knit colonies, and they emerge around mid-June. Now, most populations contain between 100 and 1,000 individuals. You do get smaller populations of a few dozen or so but some of them can be absolutely massive with tens of thousands of adults, and they do roost together in these large groups, so that's quite a thing to see. Now this species has a more intimate relationship with the ants than any of the other blue butterflies, except for the large blue. The adult female detects black ants' nests and lays her eggs close to them, and there has been observations of her laying in the nest itself. Now when the caterpillar emerges from the egg, it is immediately attractive to the ants, and after its first skin molt, the caterpillar has developed additional secretory organs that produce saccharine solution fortified with amino acids. Now when the butterfly emerges from its chrysalis, its furry body is covered in these droplets of liquid. And as it leaves the nest, it's accompanied by four to eight ants, which continue to tend to the butterfly, removing the droplets until the butterfly has inflated its wings, ready to take to the wing, so that the ants are protecting it until it can fly away, which is pretty cool. And the larval food plant includes, well, it's quite a few plants, actually, a number of erinaceous and, and leguminous plants.
1: Next one up is the brown argus. Now, you're probably thinking, well, it's brown argus. That's not a blue butterfly. Technically, it is actually in the blue butterfly group. And during the 20th century, we actually lost around 40% of the populations of the brown argus, with it being restricted to small localised colonies on unfertilized southern downland, some coastal dune systems, and a small scattering of heathlands and woodlands by the late 1980s. However, in the last 20 years or so, it has made a comeback and recolonized habitats further north and spread to new habitats. Now, the brown argus is one of our species that can have two broods a year. The first tends to be mid-May to late June and the second from July to September, and an adult lifespan is about four days, so they don't live particularly long. They can easily be confused with female common blues, particularly, you know, at a distance until you get a good look on on the underwings. The caterpillar does have a relationship with ants in that a fully grown caterpillar will have ants in attendance, and in its final stages the caterpillar produces droplets of honeydew out of a large and active honeydew gland. The larval food plant on calcareous grassland is almost exclusively the common rock rose. But in other habitats, it uses annual food plants such as dovefoots crane bill and common stalk bill. And I think you're going to chat, take us through the northern brown argus, aren't you? Neil?
0: Yeah, so the northern brown argus is pretty much the Scottish version, <laughs> a northern England version of the brown argus. It was almost certainly one of the first cold-hardy butterflies to recolonise Britain as the ice sheet retreated northwards 12,000 years ago at the end of the last Great Ice Age. It was discovered in 1795 on Arthur's Seat overlooking Edinburgh and was then named the brown-white spot due to the white mark in the centre of each forewing, which is one of the distinguishing features. Now, most of the population have one emergence per year, except in the warmest years, when two emergencies have been recorded in the Peak District, which is towards the southern end of its range. Adult flight period is normally June to August, with most colonies containing fewer than 200 individuals, and they're pretty sedentary, with individuals rarely moving more than 20 or 30 metres in their lifetime. And the larval food plant is rock rose.
1: I'm going to take the next one, and this is where I get to be all geeky and sciencey with this one, because I'm going to talk about the common blue. Obviously, as the name suggests, it is our most common and widespread of our blue butterfly species, It's actually the only one that's found on most of the small islands as well. It can be found in a variety of grasslands, waste grounds and occasionally sand dune systems. The males are conspicuous with their brilliant blue lilac colour. Females are less conspicuous and said can at quick glance be mistaken for a brown Argus. Now the number of broods varies across the UK. In the south there are two or more emergences. The first, mid-May to mid-June. The second tends to occur July into September. In the north, there's just one emergence, and this is hugely dependent on the weather. They can start emerging as early as mid-May, although there's normally a prolonged emergence from June to late August. So they have more of a one lengthy one, whereas in southern England, we get two shorter emergences. The common blue butterfly produces fewer amino acids in its secretions and is actually less well attended by ants than the other species. Now, this is where we we get all geeky. Because I'm going to talk about the wings of the common blue because they are particularly special. If you've seen a common blue, it's unmistakable that that incredibly amazing, vibrant colour. And the colours are actually produced in a combination of ways to produce that striking blue that we see. Tyndall scattering is partly responsible for the blue and occurs as light is scattered by multiple layers of three dimensional diffraction gratings in the chitin. This same effect is responsible for the blue eyes in humans and the blue sky. Now, in addition to the blue scattering effect, the blue is further enhanced by the pigments in the scales, which are synthesized during scale development just days before the butterfly emerges. A secondary source of pigment comes from the flavonoids obtained from the vetches eaten by the caterpillars. And these flavonoids confer health giving and ecological benefits from an early age and the caterpillar sequests them in its fat and these stored flavonoids are passed onto the chrysalis's body fat and are later released and transferred as pigments to the developing wing pads where they are mixed with the colours that are being synthesised. These flavonoids are colourless or very pale yellow to our, our eyes but great absorbers of UV light. So they really do out of all of the species they have like this amazing kind of structure to their wings that the others don't now the main larval food plant for the common blue is birdsfoot trefoil, but other plants include greater birdsfoot trefoil, black meddock common rest harrow white clover and lesser trefoil. and I think you're going to take us on to another favourite the chalk hill blue
0: so unsurprisingly this is a butterfly of calcareous and chalk grasslands, and in discrete populations they tend to occur so the male is paler in colour than the common and the adonis blue if it's really in-your-face blue, it's using an adonis blue, which I'll we'll come to later. But yeah, the a chalk hill blue, is a different blue to the common as well. And it's actually larger than all the other blues, apart from, obviously, the large blue. And the sole larval food plant is horseshoe vetch, which, again, is quite common on calcareous grassland. Most colonies consist of typical adults, but you do get the odd aberration coming up in them. Back in the of British butterfly collecting, these aberrations of all different species were the target for a lot of them. And the ones in the chalk hill blue were among the most sought after of these aberrations. People do still look for these aberrations, but they tend to record them with photographs rather than collect specimens. There's various websites online, you can see some of these, but UK Butterflies is one. You can see all the different aberrations in different species, and some of them are really quite spectacular, actually, arguably nicer than the standard ones. And the Chalk Hill has 87 named aberrations, which must be one of the higher ones in the Butterflies Imagine, is it, Vic?
1: Uh, it is, actually. And I've actually been lucky enough to see one of the aberrations of the Chalk Blue. Oh, and I, I don't know which one it is that I saw, but it basically had virtually no underwing markings. Ooh. It it was absolutely, and it was a male as well, because I'll tend to go out and find them like first thing in the morning when they're still roosting, but then obviously when it opened its wings, it it was clearly a Chalk Hill Blue but virtually no markings on the underwings. So
0: it looked like a holly blue when its wings were shut basically. A
1: a little bit, a little bit. It did have some markings, but nowhere near as as much as a a regular Chalk Hill, if you
0: like. So when you're looking for the Chalkland specialists, if you've got one you're not sure about, it's usually a Chalk Hill Blue. Like you know when you see the next species, which is the Adonis blue, you do, it's just the, so bright.
1: <laughs> it is, I think, the Adonis blue is probably one of the easiest to spot because the color it is like strikingly blue. And it's with in a your common face blue, blue isn't it? it is in your face blue. And with a common blue, it is that kind of blue stroke lilac, there is that hint of lilac in, in the wings. With the, the Adonis blue, it is blue, and I'm talking like in your face blue, it's unmistakable. This is a species of unimproved chalk downland, but it's restricted to only the hottest areas of the UK on south facing hillsides where the soil is so thin and the turf is sparse or closely grazed to allow the sun to bake the ground. I'm actually very lucky there is a couple of sites, actually one site just down the road from me where we do get Adonis blue. It is an easily recognisable species with the male having these brilliant blue wings. They also have distinctive black lines that enter and sometimes cross the white fringes of the wings. Now, all the ones I've seen, that black line definitely crosses the white fringes. So it is unmistakable. And and also here, I've got a site for Chalk Hill Blues and a site for Adonis Blues. I never find the two on the same site. So we'll get Common and Adonis and I get Common and Chalk Hill, but don't seem to get Adonis and Chalk Hill, interestingly. They do have two emergencies, one in May, June, and a second one in August, September time. They are well attended to by both Red and Black Ants. And it's a relationship that starts after the first molt And continues almost obsessively Until the butterfly has emerged from its chrysalis The caterpillar has three distinct organs to attract ants And the attentiveness of the ants Happens round the clock With the ants following the caterpillar down To the soil surface When they finish feeding for the day And often bury it in a pile of loose soil for the night So basically the ants are tucking the caterpillars in at night (laughs) time So sweet No wonder we love the invertebrate world so much Yeah even though other species of blue butterfly require the ant relationship, it's possible that the Adonis simply wouldn't survive without the ants as they require the attentiveness from early March right the way through to October. Whereas other species like the Chalkill blue, it's only from about mid-May to August. So it's a much longer time that they actually need that that relationship with the ants. And the sole larval food plant for this one is the horse fetch. And I think you're going to take us on to a garden favourite and a frequent garden visitor as well.
0: Yep, so if you've got a normal garden like mine and not some stupidly lucky like Vic, uh, (laughs) probably if you see a blue butterfly in your garden it's going to be a holly blue they also emerge a bit earlier than the others so sort of mid-april onwards and you see them on ivy holly which is the food plants and just shrubs generally I've, I've got a hedgerow in my garden and i quite often see them fluttering around there and the bushes in front of it they also tend to settle with their wings closed and they open up in weak sunshine or when the sun's just coming through the cloud and they very rarely get them up sort of, sort of flat and showing the whole wing They're sort of like half open 45 degrees and what's interesting with them is one year you'll get hordes of them and then another year you'll have very few and it's a cycle four to six years and basically what happens is as their numbers increase the numbers of a parasitic wasp that affects them increases with it and then causes the population to crash and of course the wasp numbers crash and the holly numbers creep up it's the parasite host relationship as they call it in biology ecology and the larvae feed on flower buds and berries on holly in the spring generation and ivy in the summer generation so they switch between their food plants and a holly blue it is responsible for the majority of false large blue sightings so a large blue doesn't look like a big holly blue i'm told and the one time i've gone looking for large blues i did see a large looking holly blue but i still don't know for sure whether it was one which brings us neatly on to the large blue
1: which is our final one out of our blue butterfly species. And I think it is probably our most famous, let's face it, isn't it, Neil? Um, For various reasons, which I will go into. But it also has a really interesting relationship. and, And it's a very intimate and intricate relationship. And, you know, one that really is key to its survival. The large blue, it is actually our largest and rarest of the blue butterflies. Now, don't think this thing is huge. It's not that much bigger than the Chalk Hill Blue. We're not talking a massive, great, big tropical butterfly here. They're really not that big. But I think it's possibly our best known due to successful reintroduction efforts bringing this butterfly back to the UK. But also, there's been a couple of convictions for collectors of the large blue. and One of them was actually on a site down here there was one on a site in Gloucester, uh, Gloucestershire as well where people have actually been convicted for collecting large blue butterflies they're that rare and unfortunately they do still go on now this species actually became extinct in 1979 but has now successfully been reintroduced as part of a major project that now sees them in southwestern areas of England but they are still rare they're doing okay but they're still rare their habitat is warm well-drained unimproved limestone or acidic grasslands and It is actually one of the butterfly species that is listed as endangered on a global scale. It is easily distinguishable from our other blue butterflies by the black spots on the upper forewings present in both the males and the females. With, interestingly, females often being more heavily marked than the males. And this is something that doesn't occur in our other species. So if you look at the other blue butterfly species, it's the male that has all those brilliant blue markings. And the female actually tends to be a lot more understated. Not so much the case in the large blue. Now the emergence takes place from around mid-June through to July with just a single generation a year. Out of all of our blue butterfly species, the large blue has to be the most intriguing and interesting in terms of its relationship with the ants. So the eggs are laid singularly on wild thyme flowers, normally on the second day of a female's life. Many females are actually predated by spiders, dragonflies or birds before they even have a chance to lay a single egg. So you can see where this is going. The eggs hatch after around five to ten days, at which point the caterpillar burrows into the flower and feeds on the pollen and developing seed. A, a large flower head may receive several visits with eggs laid. However, only one caterpillar will survive on a flower head as the caterpillars are actually cannibalistic before their first molt.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe you can understand why it's so rare. After a couple of weeks, they're still very small, but they've already developed the organs they need, including high densities of copula that are thought to be responsible for secreting the cocktail of hydrocarbons, which mimic the chemicals of the ant colonies they will infiltrate. Now, infiltrate is a key word here when we go on to the next part of the cycle. From its final skin molt, the caterpillar will emerge between about 5 to 7pm, at which point it will drop from the flower, falling to the ground, to increase its chances of being found by a red ant. By doing it at this time of night, it's kind of early evening, it increases the chance of being found by at least a hundredfold, as this is the prime foraging time for this particular ant. After maybe four hours of milking, the caterpillar will rear up and the ant is tricked into thinking that it's actually an escaped ant grub from the nest. And the caterpillar itself actually possesses the size and hairiness of the ant grub. So it's further kind of tricking the ant into thinking it's a grub. The ant will then take the caterpillar back to the nest and places it amongst the ant brood. I feel like well, this could turn into like a horror movie, couldn't it, Neil? Yes. Now, once inside the nest, the caterpillar will actually feed on the ant grub and quickly grows in size It will then hibernate in the nest over winter and resumes feeding near the surface in the spring. As a chrysalis, the large blue produces a song that is remarkably similar to that of the queen red ant, which leads it to being very, very well attended during this time. And after about three weeks, the butterfly will burst free and emerge between about 8 and 9.30 in the morning, accompanied by the ants to start the cycle all over again. That has to be one of our most fascinating relationships between two invertebrate species.
0: It's the story of their conservation. When they went extinct, we knew they had a relationship with ants, but had no idea how specific it was to the one species. And it took a while, didn't it? Then when they reintroduced it, they knew what was going on by then. So mm. the grass, it's ridiculous, isn't it? The grass has to be a certain height, so a certain species of mimerica And, oh, God, it's ridiculous. Silly things. That's why dragonflies are better than butterflies not quite but it
1: also shows why it's so important to conserve a habitat as a whole you can't just conserve one species you have to conserve the habitat as a whole because okay we know about these relationships now and and for some of these species there's been a lot of work done on them there are so many other intricate relationships between plants and fungi trees and fungi and other you know invertebrates and other invertebrates and they need those relationships to actually survive
0: yeah I mean a classic example of a rare animal we don't know much about is the hornet robber fly. I think we mentioned this in the episode of Erica. You got hornet robber fly. We know it lays its eggs on like horse dung and rabbit dung. I've actually seen them doing it. And we know they live on heathy areas. But we actually have no, no I don't know if anyone's actually seen the larvae and we certainly don't know what they eat, how long it takes, etc, etc. And that's a red data list species we should be conserving. <laughs> we don't even know its full life cycle. It's, and there's a whole host of species in freshwater where we've got the adults and we've probably found the larvae, but we don't know which one matches with which.
1: It does show how mm. much we still don't know and how much we still need yeah. to learn and really should be researching about this. I mean,
0: the butterflies are one of the most researched of all insects, certainly in the UK. Mm. And, yeah. and there's only, yes, those, uh, what it Erica calls them? Dayfly mutant moths. <laughs> <laughs> yes. it's technically accurate because they are technically muffs. but you know they're pretty muffs. but well, there we go yeah so yeah.
1: But, but I hope you've you've enjoyed our geeky delve mm. into the world of blue butterflies and we thought we'd do it now as well because actually there's quite a few like I, I've seen small blues common blues chalkhill blues will be coming out now probably coming to the end of large blues although they were a little bit late this year brown argus so it's kind of prime time for blue butterflies really to get out there and try and find some
0: we're smack bang in the middle of the season for them if I actually manage yeah. to edit this in time <laughs> I should do, hopefully. I think that wraps up the blue butterflies quite nicely. But we've we've got a couple of things. I believe you've got something to say, Vic.
1: I, I have. It's just to say that I'm actually going to be taking a break for as it stands at the moment, a couple of months. I'm actually undergoing shoulder surgery in mid July. So depending on where Neil gets us out, it's just over a week's time. Or I might have had it done by the time the episode goes out. What are you saying? <laughs> that you're a busy man, Neil. Yes, that's it. But it does mean that I am going to have to take two months off everything. So I, this is going to be my last episode for two months. I'm not leaving completely. I am coming back. I'm not going to leave you alone with Neil because we've seen what's happened after a few weeks. It's like bird mad. Fevers everywhere. And I'm ah. not sure I, I can unleash that on all of our amazing, incredible listeners. Um, so I will be back. Mm. I just don't quite know when, but i'm definitely taking a couple of months off so um i just actually want to say a huge thank you to all of our incredible listeners and supporters you know you're the reason that we keep doing this and thank you and i look forward to being back with you later on in the year hopefully
0: this whole business 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 that is that is a sentence the busyness business means i might only be doing two episodes a month at the moment I was going to say year then that would be really lazy two episodes a month for the next month or two that was how it goes because obviously I've got to do any research sort out all the guests and blah 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 blah. and I'm editing again so that limits it although of course if you wish to buy us a coffee I might be able to afford to get Oliver to come back and do an episode or two which might help so uh, there you go that doesn't count as blackmail does it that's just um, incentive isn't it <laughs> but there we go yes Oscar's very kindly sent me all the theme Tudor stuff which hopefully you would have heard at the start of this episode if I managed to get it to work there we go right well I think that's it
1: but please do look after Neil in my absence my, my two month mm-hmm. break is actually from everything so as of the 14th of July I will actually be off social media for two months as well so yeah I'll, I'll be obviously staying in touch with Neil but I won't be present and I'll you. be ignoring her yeah uh, just like any good friend.
0: Yep, blank and I mean we do podcasts on my own. I'm gonna blank <laughs> No, not really. As usual, we're having a really long finish. I'm just gonna publicly wish you all the best. Thank and you. Uh, I'm sure most of our listeners will too.
1: Thank you, yeah. Well fingers crossed this is like the road to recovery now.
0: And then once it's all sorted we'll have a few more in the field episodes next year, I hope.
1: That's, that's the plan that's yeah, definitely right. the plan and hopefully a lot of other stuff will have settled down it'll be a lot easier for us to do them next year as yeah. well anyway. somewhere
0: between lockdown 9 and 10 <laughs> yeah. we'll
1: <have> <laughs> I fear the next one might be coming soon oh dear
0: god that's, that could age horribly couldn't it that, that joke yeah. never mind yeah. yes well thanks very much guys um, we'll end it there before I have to edit even more waffling and we'll well I'll see you next time
1: and I will see you in a couple of months take care everyone bye 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 thank you for listening to the uk wildlife podcast if you enjoyed this episode then please do subscribe and leave a review for us on apple podcast or whichever podcast service you use
0: you can follow us on twitter at uk wildlife pod or one word
1: or on instagram at uk wildlife podcast
0: and like us on our facebook page uk wildlife podcast and you can also post to the uk wildlife podcast community group
1: If you would like to share your wildlife news or sightings with us on Instagram or Twitter, then please tag us in the post and use the hashtag UKWildlifePodcast.
0: And you can now support us through our Buy Me A Coffee account, which you can find at buymeacoffee.com forward slash UKWildlifePod, where you can give us a one-off bit of support or join our membership scheme. Head there to find out more. This episode was edited by, by Neil Phillips. The music is by Oscar Henderson. You can find him on Instagram at oscar.creates.